Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I'm Jewel. Welcome back to Canna Confidential. I'm here with Cheryl, the microcultivation owner of Kinhana Cannabis, and today we're going to kick it off with an article out of Canada. I found an article in BNN Bloomberg about Canada's Croptober. So Croptober is when most outdoor cannabis farmers harvest their crop around the October mark. Canada's Croptober looms as outdoor production is set to soar, is the headline. A different sea of green will greet Canadian farm fields this year as licensed producers begin to plant their crops outside, a move that could exacerbate an existing glut in the market. Outdoor growers have got the cost down to four cents a gram, and apparently the growers are within 90% of indoor quality. Refining the strains, which work in Canadian summers, has taken some time. Some growers feel that they've sorted out the strains and are looking forward to a profitable season. And what that means to you as a patient is cheap weed. So if the price has come down to four cents a gram, and there are hundreds and hundreds of acres being planted, that means that there will probably be greater amounts than necessary, perhaps not because it is a consumable, so people will just consume more of it. But if they've got the cost down to four cents a gram and got the strains cleaned up so that it's uh, a crop that will work with Canadian summers, you're gonna see plenty of weed on the market and at a lower cost, that means you'll probably see a lower price. And what that means for us as growers, it means that we need to focus on the quality and cut some business expenses where you can if you need to increase the bottom line. Maybe you don't need to increase the bottom line and you're happy with a dollar a gram to produce and you're happy to sell it at three or four dollars or five dollars depending on what kind of strain and quality you've got. So it's an interesting uh, scenario that's coming forward with outdoor growing. And I think there's always the opportunity to make it up in bulk, which is once they have saturated the Canadian market, we've seen from the news that the U.S. market is going to be legalizing probably soon, and there will be other markets around the world that are legalizing as well. And we talked about a country in South America recently that they're allowed to use it for medicine, but they're not allowed to grow it mm-hmm. themselves. I think it was Chile. And they're not allowed to grow it themselves at all. So there will be other countries that have a similar setup and that will be a great opportunity because the their market won't be saturated. Well, the same way that we export soybeans and rice to China, cannabis is just going to become another product, like another commodity that can be exported to other countries. And in those countries, it may sell for more mm-hmm. if they don't have the capacity to produce on a large scale. I think we did an article in season one where we were reporting that we'd found information supporting that the uh, European market was around the $22 mark. Mm-hmm. And I think there will be a lot of markets that stay that way. So if you're somebody who's concerned about the bottom line, looking to exporting in the next year, two years, five years, if you still need to make that kind of dollar mark, if you're producing at four cents, 
then selling it for 20 is an insane markup. And and the, we all have to recognize that, you know, you may have a bumper crop this year or next year or f- for several years in a row, but there will be that one year that knocks you right out of the market. So, you know, there's variables in the outdoor market. Yeah, as in weather and, and things right. just contributing. And the quality too. Like you have, you know, birds landing on your crop and doing what birds do. I don't think I'd want to be purchasing that cannabis. So it's it's a it's a whole different quality of product. Yeah, because cannabis isn't something like um, oranges or peppers where you can wash the exterior right. of it in the same way. Right. Now we're going to go to an article that is regarding Aurora Cannabis and how they are making a play for the CBD market in the U.S. This is according to CNBC. Aurora Cannabis has agreed to buy U.S.-based CBD company Reliva, giving the struggling Canadian company a business foothold in America. Shares of Aurora closed off nearly 13% ahead of the Wednesday afternoon announcement. The stock surged higher in after-hours trading. However, over the past 12 months, Aurora has lost nearly 90% of its stock market value as of Wednesday's close. Its immediate access into the world's largest cannabinoid market, Aurora Executive Chairman and Interim CEO Michael Singer told CNBC's Frank Holland, I think Reliva acquisition is a responsible strategic entry into the U.S. market. And for Aurora, it delivers a key aspect of our reset plan. Reliva stakeholders will receive $40 million in Aurora shares, which had surged more than 120% since the company on May 14th reported a narrower quarter-over-quarter loss. The deal is expected to close next month. In February, Terry Booth retired as CEO and Aurora announced 500 layoffs in a write-down of approximately $700 million in product and equipment. Singer said the deal complements the near-term goal of Aurora reaching profitability in the next fiscal year and longer-term goal of entering the U.S. market for CBD and cannabis. It's creative and profitable, Singer said, adding that Reliva has no debt. Reliva also had access to 20,000 retail locations and, even more important, strong relationships with the leading wholesalers and distributors in the U.S., Reliva is currently sold in Circle K convenience stores and other retail locations around the U.S. Miguel Martin, CEO of Reliva, told CNBC the deal will give his Reliva brand increased scale and international exposure while it maintains pricing to capitalize on the U.S. market during the pandemic. All of our products retail for less than $20, Martin said. When you're dealing with mass retail, it's important that you provide that type of spectrum of pricing, particularly in this market where affordability of value are particularly important. Cannabis sales in Canada have not reached expectations since adult recreational use was legalized in October 2018, but according to the Brightfield Research Group firm, CBD sales are projected to rise to $24 billion in the U.S. retail sales by 2025. CBD stands for cannabidiol, which is one of several, we know this, chemical compounds within the cannabis plant. So this is an excellent sign for everybody who's in the industry because for a legal cannabis company in Canada to be making a play for a CBD market in the U.S., they're laying the groundwork for what we've been somewhat speculating at for months now 
And this is, is just a more concrete example of that step towards legalization in the U.S. I find it interesting how Canopy and Aurora are tracking each other, going after the CBD market in the U.S. They obviously both know that there's legalization on the horizon and want to be positioned in the U.S. before that happens. I think that summarizes it in the best way possible. Like they see what's happening. And so they're getting toeholds in the U.S. before legalization is even like on the federal timeline yet, uh, or at least the formal federal timeline. I think we all know that it's imminent at some point, but it's just when. To partner with uh, Relieve that have 20,000 retail outlets is a bold step. They're, they're preparing for something. Mm-hmm. Yes, Reliva does have a big influence in CBD in the U.S., especially being in something as commonplace as Circle K convenience stores. Right. Those are everywhere. Yeah. I want to talk to you today about Manitoba is going to open uh, cannabis stores and open that market to all prospective retailers. So if you ever wanted to move to Manitoba and be in the cannabis market, this might be your opportunity. Manitoba is about to open the cannabis store market to all prospective retailers. Manitoba will soon begin taking applications for new cannabis store licenses, opening the recreational marijuana market in the central Canadian province to all comers. Applications will be accepted starting June 1st, but the province will process only one location per application at a time. Applicants without any existing stores in Manitoba will be prioritized according to the provincial news release. Retailers in this next phase will be limited to owning no more than 15% of standalone stores in Manitoba. This will be expanded as more stores enter the market. The province has previously limited the number of cannabis stores it licenses issues to. What I think There's two things about this article that I think are wonderful. The first being that applicants without any existing stores are going to be prioritized because that provides diversity in the market. So then there's less risk of a monopoly existing within Manitoba. Second, I think it's interesting that Manitoba is doing this to create interest in their market. Manitoba is not as well-known as Ontario or British Columbia to people who are not Canadian. It's sort of in the middle, in the mix. It's not Toronto. It's not Vancouver. It's not right on the coast of either side of the country. So I think this is a really interesting play to open it up in this way and really encourage some activity to happen there. Manitoba is the fifth largest province, although geographically it it is a very big province. Uh, they only have a population of 1.4 million, and they only have 30 cannabis store licenses at this point in time. And most of them are in the city of Winnipeg. So to open it up is uh, is going to stimulate some growth for Manitoba. Which is wonderful. Yeah. Because they're with 30 cannabis stores, but a population of almost 1.5 million, there's no way that 30 stores are servicing all those people. So it's great that they're giving more opportunity and, again, prioritizing people who are not already in the cannabis retail space. Mm -hmm. I also have an interesting article here that legal cannabis contributes $2.3 billion to the crop receipts in Canada. So a growing cannabis industry helped push positive growth in Canada's realized net farm income in 2019, according to new data from StatsCan. 
Canada's National Data Bureau defines realized net farm income as the difference between a farmer's cash receipts and operating expenses minus depreciation plus income in kind. So total farm cash receipts measure revenues including crop and livestock sales and government subsidy programs for certain agricultural sectors increased by 5.7% in 2019 to $66.1 billion Canadian dollars. Excluding cannabis, the increase would have been 2.9, which is similar to annual re- increases in recent years. Canada's total crop receipts for 2019 reached $36.6 billion, a 3.9% increase over 2018. So all of this um, increase in in annual sales for the farmers is coming from cannabis and what a great thing for our country. In fact, in the statistics that were mentioned, 5.7% growth over an expected 2.9% means that because of cannabis, it almost doubled. Right. So it's a it, I mean it's doing great things in so many different sectors in our country. And it's really interesting that that the agricultural community is accepting cannabis in the way that they would accept tobacco as well. Like they've sort of just uh, gone with it where there's been some pushback in other areas of governmental agencies about cannabis. The the agricultural sector has just sort of welcomed cannabis with open arms. Well, if you think about it, like it not only the trickle down of that is that farmers can now go buy a new tractor. Farmers are buying uh, fertilizers and and things to implement their soil. They're uh, buying seeds. They're employing people to harvest these crops. Like it's just a trickle down that's great for the whole country. And Canada being so large, even though our growing season is fairly short, but just being so large, there is so much room for outdoor cultivation and even greenhouse cultivation, which would extend the season a little bit longer for a sort of in between of indoor outdoor. It it's really cannabis could really be doing something for Canada in the long term, not just in the short term. Now we're going to go to the U.S. and discuss what's going on down there in regards to cannabis. So our first article is from Benzinga, and it's regarding Filter Labs launching a new partnership to provide free cannabis filters to veterans. Many veterans advocate for access to medical marijuana to help with PTSD, injuries, and anxiety. One supporter is U.S. Navy veteran John Grimm, who this week announced that his company Filter Labs is partnering with the Veterans Cannabis Group. Filter Labs will be providing veterans suffering from PTSD with micro-sized personal air filters for free. These will allow them to continue to use medicinal cannabis safely with minimal impact on loved ones around them. Grimm told Benzinga the partnership can help, quote, empower veterans struggling with PTSD and anxiety by providing a guilt-free way to consume cannabis and reduce the impact of harmful emissions to others in our environment. Grimm believes it's essential to do his part in supporting the brave men and women who honorably serve America. It is critical that we reduce the stigma associated with veterans using cannabis and continue to advocate for a variety of solutions that will help those suffering. Filter's mission is to lead a cultural shift for responsible vaping through our products that reduce up to 97% of secondhand smoke and vape and provide for cleaner air and environment, he said. Aaron Augustus, founder of the Veterans Cannabis Group, said the goal is to provide resources, safe access, and information for veterans who consume medicinal cannabis. 
Our veterans will get the benefit of using a high-quality personal filtration device to help treat the stress-related mental illnesses that can result from combat while learning about the importance of reducing secondhand smoke and vape emissions to protect their loved ones and the environment. And I know that this is something that is very, something that you focus on a lot is providing cannabis to veterans is something that you're very passionate about. So it's great to see that it's something that other companies are doing as well. Obviously people are more familiar with the idea that cannabis can help with PTSD, but the nuances of how to utilize that in the most effective way so that the veteran is getting the medicine they need, but that other people don't necessarily have to consume it at the same time because they choose to smoke it. This is an excellent way to meet them in the middle. And the jury's still out on the vaping. Um, I mean, most of us, I think, believe that any, your lungs are made for oxygen and smoking isn't really beneficial to your lungs. But I think anything that, that uh, can help our veterans is beneficial. And if that means that they're smoking through a filter that is cleaning the air for their uh, other household members, it's a good thing. And yes, we all know that your lungs are designed for oxygen only. And if you choose to smoke or not smoke, that's your personal decision, but your lungs were designed strictly for oxygen. But for some, that's the fastest route to the bloodstream to get the medicine active. And for some people, that's the only way that they can experience the relief or Mm -hmm. veterans aside, some people who have side effects from medication or under treatment for certain illnesses don't have even an appetite. So, and they don't necessarily feel comfortable putting oil drops under their tongue. So for some people, it just is the reality of their situation. But it's nice to see that people are getting involved in helping veterans with something that can be so beneficial for people who are experiencing experiencing things such as PTSD. Yes. Our next article is regarding Cresco Labs expanding in Illinois and debuting a Sunnyside Danville store. And this comes from Benzinga. Multi-state cannabis company Cresco Labs confirmed Wednesday that it will open a sixth Illinois dispensary. Sunnyside Danville is touted as the first adult-use-only retail location in eastern Illinois. The new store, which opens May 27th and spans 4,800 square feet, will be offering the company's brands, including Cresco, Mindy's Chef-Led Artisanal Edibles, Remedy, Reserve, and High Supply. This is our sixth store in Illinois, and with additional cultivation from our recent expansion coming online throughout quarter three, we are set to generate significant operating leverage and demonstrate the value of going deep. This is a quote from Cresco Labs CEO and co-founder Charlie Bachtel. In response to the ongoing health crisis, the store will operate online as well, receiving online orders via sunnyside.shop, Besides Danville Dispensary, Cresco operates five other Sunnyside dispensaries across Illinois, including Wrigleyville, Chicago, Elmwood Park, Buffalo Grove, Rock Ford, and Champaign. The company said it plans to launch its seventh store in the Chicago's River North neighborhood, as well as a few other retail locations in the central business district in Chicago. 
South Beloy, and Schaumburg. Last month, Cresco received the Adult Use Dispensing Organization license from the Illinois Department of Financial Regulation to cut the ribbon on its first recreational use cannabis dispensary in downtown Chicago. The Sunnyside Danville's opening comes on the heels of Cresco's expansion in Ohio. The company announced Tuesday it has agreed to purchase Verdant Creations four dispensaries for $375,000 in cash and $500,000 of its subordinate voting shares. Currently, Cresco operates 215,000 square feet of cultivation space through its three facilities in Juliet, Lincoln, and Kankakee. What I find very interesting about this whole article, and I'll touch on the the purchasing of, of Verdant Creations later on, but the fact that cannabis is still federally illegal in the U.S., <laughs> And, and these states are taking it upon themselves to make choices that support what their citizens want, which is great because that's what a government should be doing. Yeah. So it's nice to see that uh, the framework that was set up for the U.S. so many years ago with state legislation being somewhat autonomous to federal legislation is still very much alive and well, and that these states are able to hear what the citizens are saying and give them what they're asking for. And then to touch on Verdant Creations, it's incredible to me that with so much money moving through the cannabis industry, even not being federally legal in the U.S., that they were able to purchase four dispensaries for roughly $875,000, like less than a million dollars. That's amazing. So... In Canada, when you open a cannabis business, to jump through the hoops of the, the banking agencies is, is a tough go in itself. That's like getting through uh, Health Canada and the CRA just to find a bank account that will operate with you. And so 375000 in cash, somebody didn't show up with $375,001 bills and make this transaction somewhere there is banking happening with the cannabis industry and banks are federally mandated. So it's just a real mishmash of how this is all happening. But I like it. I, yeah, it's a good thing. I think it's great that, you know, whether it's through a gentleman's agreement or whatever kind of relationship is happening here to push forward these industries that that should have been legalized a long time ago, Whatever it's taking to get things moving forward is good. And the fact that, yes, nobody showed up with a suitcase full of money. Obviously, it was probably a transfer that happened from one bank to another, which means that unless they both happened to bank with the same banking facility, that there would have been interbanking happening there as well, meaning that there's probably more than one bank that's willing to work with people in the cannabis industry. Uh And let's not mince words. Banks are happy to work with you when you have $375,000 in cash to send to someone else. Yeah, It's when you're getting started in a new business that finding that relationship is more difficult. But if you already happen to have the cash from the industry that was that is legal in your state, or perhaps CBD that is legal in more states, and you're just transferring it into an industry that is now legal in that particular state, there are a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of gray. And... and- you know, you have like the the banking officer had to say, well, where did this money originate from? You know, and how did that person answer that question? But in Illinois, it's legal. 
in Illinois, but it's the bank would be a federal institution. And this is where the nuance comes in that in Ontario, in season one, we mentioned this as some advice for people seeking what to do in these scenarios. Credit unions are often a great option. They are typically state located, state run mm -hmm. banking institutions. And so in that case, I, I'm not sure, obviously, I don't know for sure where they're doing their banking, but that is an option that could have been part of this scenario. And I do believe, like I now I'm banking with one of the five big ones in Canada, and it's people like me that are breaking the doors open for people to follow behind and do regular banking. And it has to do world. with your, your relationship with your bank as well. If you've had a relationship with a bank for a very long time and they are somewhat progressive and see the writing on the wall that's coming, it's very much a case-by-case -case situation, very as much. most things with banks are. Some people get approved for a mortgage and other people don't. A lot of times it's based on relationship, but especially in an industry like this where it may involve someone sticking their neck out and taking a risk in an industry that's very new. and it, But it is becoming more and more uh, recognized. And uh, I think there are 350 cultivators in Canada now. So, you know, not everybody is operating from the hip national bank. They, the banks are starting to recognize that this is a viable industry. Well, and here it's legal. It took them a while to get on board and to see how how this was going to play out, unlike the agricultural community or division of the government, the financial side was much less willing to just jump right in and get on board. Yes. I found an interesting article this morning uh, about a struggling Canadian cannabis, cannabis producer pulling out of Jamaica. Cannabis producer, the Green Organic Dutchman, trading on the stock exchanges TGOD, is no longer pursuing opportunities in Jamaica so it can focus on its struggling Canadian operations, the Mississauga, Ontario-based company said. The company on Tuesday reported quarterly revenue of $3 million, while sales in Canada amounted to only $660,000, stemming mainly from a limited product assortment, according to a news release. TGOD's net loss for the quarter ending March 31st was $73 million. The company disclosed the sale of a stake in Jamaica's Epican Medicinals to another shareholder for a nominal amount. TGOD said the decision boiled down to its operating losses, developments in Jamaica restricting operations, a strategic decision to focus on its Canadian operations. In a regulatory filing, TGOD reported an impairment loss on the Epican investment of $3.8 million due to changing market conditions in Jamaica. The company has also made a strategic decision to forego expansion of proposed cultivating activities in Jamaica for export to prioritize the company's Canadian operations. TGOD first announced an agreement to buy 49% of Epican in June of 2018. TGOD is the latest Canadian company to pull the plug on international projects after the deal failed to live up to ex expectations. So it's my understanding that when you go into a cannabis operation in Jamaica, 51% of it must be owned by a Jama Jamaican national and 49 of it can be divided up amongst who your investors are. So for, uh, 
the Green Organic Dutchman to go to Jamaica and look for a Jamaican partner to take over 51%, they're already the underdog. And if they're bringing in all the money and somebody else is 51% and and maybe bringing some growing skills or maybe bringing some money, you're already at a disadvantage at 49%. So that loads the it loads it in the favor of somebody else. What I think is interesting is that these big companies started in Canada and they didn't spend a lot of time building a relationship with the Canadian citizens and making people feel comfortable with their brand. And then they started launching these satellite offices and branches in other countries. And what I find so fascinating about that is if you have looked at the new successful business model of businesses that have come up in the last 10 to 20 years and are doing really well right now, they most of them started by building a community of fans, of people who appreciate their product. And I'm not talking about Johnson & Johnson here because that's more of the old model. That's more of the corporate model. But for industry now to be successful, People are used to identifying with the brand, becoming familiar with the brand, and then the product infiltrates its way into people's lives through, in the best way, in the best case scenario, a personal recommendation from a friend or family member. And so with these companies just sort of launching a brand because they thought, or launching a business because they thought that the demand was so high in Canada that people would just buy cannabis from anybody is not reading your audience. Yeah, and and the Green Organic Dutchman is not the only one to try and, you know, get outside of the Canadian borders quickly. Um, Canopy did it too. And it's very much like they used the Canadian legalization as a launching point, but they had their sights set on bigger things, just like Aurora and Canopy making place for the U.S. market. But they made a, a fatal error in estimating what the timeline would be in these other countries regulating. So they've launched into Jamaica or Israel or wherever it is that they're going, and then the countries are five, ten years out from actually regulating and they put themselves in a position of being overextended overextended for a long period of time with potentially no recoup in sight like a long time meaning those countries are not even at the point where they also like people have been taught to think of cannabis in such a negative light for so long that to think that you can just launch a company and start producing it legally without re-educating people on the fact that cannabis doesn't have to be a dark and scary path to drug land is it it's just crazy to think that you can just jump in and people will change their minds that quickly a society doesn't work like that it's like turning a ship not a speedboat i get it where you know they want to go to a country and buy cheap land and and cheap buildings while the market is asleep because once the cannabis monster wakes up, all the prices will escalate. And I know from my own grow, when I tell a, a contractor, an air conditioner guy, or, or an electrician that I'm a cannabis operation, the price doubles. 
And so I can see why they want to go to these countries and buy cheap land and cheap buildings, cheap greenhouses, and get on the ground before the legalization happens. And it's a slippery slope, too. You go into a market and you say, well, we'll just buy one greenhouse and we'll sit on it. But then something changes and you have to invest more money. Mm -hmm. And then something else changes and you've got to keep the building up to code. Or you've got to put this equipment in to make it functional. And so it, it can just become you're spending more and more money that was unplanned in the beginning. The plan was to just sort of hold on to a piece of, of getting your foot in the door. And the plan to um, just hold it and, and um, sit on it makes sense. But again, like you said, if you have to, um, you know, maintenance and property tax, and if, the, if it gets out that you're going to open a cannabis operation, there might be resistance to that. So there's a whole lot of... Um, factors that you don't see going in that will rear their ugly heads. I think the most important thing to take away from this is that if you're passionate about something, it's highly likely that someone else is passionate about it too. And building your brand from a place of passion and and connecting with people about a shared passion, your chances of success increase exponentially for every person that you find that shares that passion. But none of these big companies went into it with the idea of a shared passion with someone else. And laying the groundwork. Yeah. That's more the game of a microcultivator because most microcultivators have a strong passion for cannabis for personal reasons. They have used it because they were in pain. They started growing it for a grandmother or something like that. And that's how they got into wanting to be in the business of cannabis and that's where you're going to get a much stronger connection with a potential customer mm-hmm. our final article for today is regarding the full legalization of israel in terms of cannabis and this is from al monitor the inauguration of israel's 35th government on may 17th was a particularly depressing event for many israelis after all they were watching one of the most bloated governments 34 ministers in all of israel's history take office but for the hundreds of thousands of cannabis users in israel it signifies a happy change for the first time in years there is a real chance that cannabis will be fully legalized of the 34 new ministers including the prime minister 19 support fully or to some extent legalization of cannabis use or at least the regularization of the medical cannabis market. Six are undecided with a tendency to support it and five have not declared their position in any organized manner and only three have declared that they oppose the legalization idea. In terms of percentages, 57 to 75% support advancing legalization on cannabis, with only 9 to 24% as opposed. The Cannabis Magazine news site shared with Al Monitor results of a public opinion survey on the issue conducted in August 2018, which found similar support, 71%, among the general public. I admit that I am more optimistic than ever, Oren Leibovitz, Israel's well-known legalization activist, told Al Monitor. I've been fighting for a decade to advance legalization of this sort. Now, for the first time, I can definitely see it happening. Everything is already in place for Israel to approve the full legalization of cannabis. The persecution of over 1 million cannabis users in Israel will finally come to an end. 
And if you've heard us discuss Israel before, you know that they have done a lot of cannabis-based research for decades. So legalizing the market there with already so much existing information in their databases of research is really going to provide some some great opportunities to share that data among countries in more than just an educational way. So with Israel at the point of legalizing, hopefully sooner rather than later, we will have more information and more experienced researchers to communicate with regarding what is possible with this plant. One of the first trade shows that uh, that we attended in the cannabis industry um, I met some people from Israel that were already involved. Uh, I believe the gentleman was a doctor and he was a researcher. So they've been doing research long, long before anybody else. So it's really encouraging to see that they are finally going to become legal. It is. And hopefully this will just set the tone for more legalization to happen abroad, not just in North America. Mm Mm-hmm. So today we're going to close with a quote from Umer Haik, and that is, the biggest mistake you can make is listening to people who've given up on their dreams tell you to give up on yours. That's our show for today, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed it. Cheryl, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. And as always, we will talk to you next week. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. We would be happy to chat. Have a great week, everyone. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, then please send an email to admin at kinhana.com. That's K-I-N-H-A-N-A.com.